Good morning and welcome to Sunlight Christian Center, located in downtown Orange. Let's join Pastor Joe and the worship service in progress. David spent many years of his life in the caves of Adullam, the caves by the Dead Sea. Let me give you just a quick geography lesson of what Israel looked like. In the north of Israel, there is the Sea of Galilee, which is abundant with life and fish. And in the south, there's the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, and it is a sea where nothing lives. It's dead. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. The Jordan River feeds the Dead Sea from water that comes from the Lake of Galilee, and all of the water from the Jordan River, which is alive with fish, empty into the Dead Sea, and everything that is alive dies. Because the Dead Sea has so much salt content in it, in fact, it is 10 times more salty than the salt in the ocean, nothing can survive in the Dead Sea. Uh, Years ago, in the 70s, Nancy and I went to Israel, and we traveled through the land of Israel, and one of the places that we visited was the Dead Sea, and it's it's a region that is just desert, the caves, and uh, canyons and dusty hills, hot weather. The water is like light oil. It's not like regular water. It's just like a light oil. And it's so buoyant, you, you, if you fell into the Dead Sea, you would float. You could not drown the Dead Sea because it'll keep your body afloat. It is the lowest spot on the planet. It is 1,385 feet below sea level the lowest spot. And that's where David spent so many years of his life. It's such a low spot on the planet. There'll come times in our lives when we are surrounded by cliffs and eroded hills and caves and canyons, not made of sand, but of circumstances, conditions that we're going through that will be like the lowest spot in our lives. And I'd like to talk about that this morning. Last week, we left David at the city of Gath. He had gone to the city of Nod where he received bread from the priest and Goliath's sword that was left in the tabernacle. And foolish David left the city of Nod and walked right into the city of Gath, which was the hometown of Goliath. He was instantly recognized. He was wanted dead or alive by the Philistines. He was instantly recognized. And the the sword that he was carrying was recognized as Goliath's sword. And they arrested him. What did he think they were going to do? And he realized that he was in such a, a, a bad situation. He panicked. And the Bible says he pretended to be insane. He, he, he drooled saliva over his beard he scratched on the jail cell door he stuck out his tongue he rolled in the dirt he spit and foamed at the mouth and shook and they thought he was insane now David is in a bad situation and and just like God God takes us at the place where it looks like it's all over and David was rescued from this precarious situation. He's pretending to be insane. Uh, 
and, and he looks insane and is acting insane. And what happened is it just so happens that the Philistines were very superstitious about insane people. They believed that if a person was insane and you came too close to them, a man would become impotent and a woman would become barren and children might perhaps die. And so what they did to insane people in the Philistine territory, which is right in this area, is if somebody was insane, they would drive them out into the desert area so that they would die. When the king found out that David, who was wanted dead or alive, was acting in an insane way, the king said, I don't need him in this country. Toss him out. And so the Bible says that, that David left. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. It was a dusty cave. It's a dusty place. And, and, and God, even in that was sending an angel to watch over David who should have been put to death and could have been put to death. But because of their superstition, David is sent out into the desert for the purpose of dying, but David doesn't die. He goes to a cave and he is in this location. I just wanted to point out something about the cave of Adullam. It's not just one cave, it's a series of caves and it's caves that will extend about 10 miles up and down the coast of, of the uh, Dead Sea. It wasn't easy to find a person who was hiding in a cave. When you read the Bible and you read that David was in the cave of Adullam, somebody might think, well, naturally, we, we just look under A's and we find out where Adullam is and we'll catch him. That is not the case. It was very difficult to find David because he was in caves that all looked alike. And there he finds himself abandoned, isolated, living in a cave. I asked the grandchildren, what do you think it would be like to live in a cave for years, not just a week, to live in a cave where you had no microwave, no kitchen facilities, no bathroom facilities, no bedroom, no bed, only chairs, a stump on the ground and lived that way for months, for years. David spent 10 years running and hiding from cave to cave in the caves of Adullam, running from King Saul who was after him, cold at night, dripping, dark, and dismal. And I want you to look at something, and here's where truth sometimes becomes disturbing. All because David said yes to God. He finds himself in the caves, which we'll find out in just a moment why. He said yes to God, and God made arrangements for him to find himself hiding from one cave to the other. You know, some people believe that when you say yes to yes to God, and I've heard these lessons and I've heard the preaching, if you say yes to God, if you say God will give you a Learjet and a Rolex watch and you'll have health and wealth, and, and have, they build all of these sand castles in the sky of what it is that God is going to give you if you just simply say yes to God. And, and there are many Christians who become really disappointed because they believe, and I don't know where they find these passages to lead people to these conclusions, but people become really upset 
and discouraged when they realize that you can't really toy around with how God is going to operate in your life. That God is doing something a whole lot bigger than to put the wheel of a Rolls Royce in your hands, as wonderful as that may be. But saying yes to God is not the same thing as saying yes to wealth and health. Mary, the mother of Jesus, said yes to the angel. She said, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me, even as you say. And at that moment, when she said yes to God, she lost her reputation for the rest of her life. When people would look at Mary after that, they would see somebody who had a child out of wedlock. And in those days, there was nothing but criticism and vicious rumor that would spread around about Mary. That's what happened when she said yes to the Lord. Jesus says, yes, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, cause this cup to pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus says, yes, to the father. And in saying yes to the father, he was saying yes to the cross. The answer to his prayer was a cross. And when he was on that cross, then he receives ridicule from people. So when you say yes to God, it's not the same thing as saying yes to having a Disney ride trip. Saying yes to God sometimes can lead, and this is the disturbing part about truth, saying yes to God can lead us into some valleys, it can lead us into some caves, it can lead us to your, to your adulam, the place where you find yourself isolated and alone and hurting. And here is David in a cave waiting for he knows not what, just knows that he needs to run away and stay away from King Saul who is after him. This was not David's choice. David did not choose a cave. Job did not choose to have all of his possessions ripped out from under him. Joseph did not choose to be sold into slavery to Egypt and then be framed by Potiphar's wife and land in jail for two and a half years. That was not his choice. Had he been choosing, he would have been choosing something far greater than that. And here's David, David without making a choice. He, what about you? Wait, what, what about you? This was not David's choice. Being laid off was not your choice. Having your 401k assaulted by Wall Street was not your choice. Finding yourself in, in the gloom and the doom of a financial and, and economic setback was not your choice. It was not your choice to find yourself in a dysfunctional family. It was not your choice to be in an abusive relationship. There are some choices that are made for us without our approval. They are just made and we find ourselves waking up in a world that has already hand-delivered to us all kinds of problems and setbacks and we got to learn how to deal with what it is that somebody else made choices for. You did not choose to be born. You did not choose to be born red, yellow, black, or white. You did not choose the century that you are living in. You did not choose this function that you may have found in your family. You did not choose a lot of things that have happened in your life. And so, since you didn't choose, people are not going to be upset with you if you decide you will become bitter. Because that's a choice you can make. 
You may not have been able to choose the circumstances that you find yourself in, but then you can choose the reaction that you're going to make, and some people will see you react, and nobody will blame you if you were like David in a situation where all of his life was pulled out from underneath him, and all he is left now with is a cave and a dulem. And nobody would have blamed him if he'd have been angry, if he would have been fearful, if he would have been resentful, if he would have become an agnostic, saying, well, there may be a God, but I don't think God cares about me. There are some Christians, there are some saints that even come to church that have already decided to make that choice. I have chosen to remove God from my life. Oh, I'm coming to church and I might sing the songs, but in my heart I have silently tuned him out. There are some Christians that have even become atheists, maybe not in word or, 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 or maybe not uh, pronouncing it, but, but in their heart they have just X'd God out of their life because they are hurt by the circumstances that they're going through. They have been so isolated and feel so paralyzed by the dysfunction that's all around them. They have just wiped their hands of everything because God has now led them to a cave. But David did not make that choice. David did not choose to be angry and rebellious and bitter and resentful. This is what we read in Psalm 57, verse 1. And if you looked at your psalm, you'll notice that on the top it says that this psalm was written by David when he was in a cave. And this is what he says. This is part of the first verse. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. David looked at his situation. And to be perfectly honest, if we, we need to make the word of God be practical to us, we, we look at the laid off condition we find ourselves in. We look at the financial reversal that we're going through. We look at a family conflict that just broke out and we don't know how to manage our way through it. We look at it. And we can become bitter about it. David looks at his set of circumstances and he, he does something interesting. He relabels the cave. He relabeled the cave. And he said, it's the shadow of your wings. I'm hiding in this cave, but I sense the shadow of your wings. It's my refuge. David would discover what we need to discover ourselves, and that is that the, the, the palace that we would have chosen, because David was brought to the palace, and the fame and uh, notoriety and the status that David received from King Saul, which we, we would have chosen, which was stripped away from him, and all he's got left now is loneliness in a cave. He discovered that his true refuge, and David uses the word refuge 26 times in Psalms, he discovered that the true refuge in life is not the palace. We need to discover that refuge in life is not the job. It's not your career. It's not the things that you look up to. It's not your friends that you surround yourself with. It, it, it's not the wonderful circumstances that you might be experiencing and feeling your, your real refuge in life is not the corporate promise that was made to you when you joined the company. It's not your 401k plan. It's not your retirement plan. All of these things are wonderful and they're great props, but you'll discover in life that none of these are the real sources of refuge in your life. It's only one refuge and that is God. 
That's what David discovered in a cave. He discovered that when he was all alone and hurting. And it's what we need to discover. That our only refuge, there only is one refuge, is God. Let me show you what I mean. The day is going to come when you and I will die. Some of us will die in one way and others of us will die in another way. On that day, on that day, we will discover that God is our only refuge. That's God. The scripture tells us, David writes this, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth be removed, that the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. She is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved, the scripture says. Be still and know that I am God. When you get to the place where you realize that only God is your refuge, then you don't spend any time leaning on this one and leaning on that one and leaning on that other hope and leaning on that promise that the other person gives you, leaning on your bank balance and, and leaning on. You don't need to lean anymore except I got God and God is enough. That's what David had to discover. And sometimes God's got to leave us in a condition where we are all alone and isolated just simply to discover one thing, and that is God is our refuge. That you can lean on him. That underneath are his everlasting arms. That you can trust in him. And we can hide under the shadow of his almighty hand. And that when God speaks to us, he speaks to us with words that are powerful. He says in the scripture, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. And that sometimes God's got to speak that word into us so that the things that we're holding on melt. And we only have one person to hang on to. And that's God. That's what David had to discover in a desert. That God was his strength. God was his source. There's something comical in this passage, and I have you turn to the 22nd chapter because I, I want you to see this. There's something comical and something serious. The comical thing first. King Saul was out there looking for David. You will find this over and over again uh, throughout the next several passages in 1 Samuel. That King Saul had 3,000 of his best troops, his most loyal troops, out there searching the desert, looking for David, his CIA, his FBI, and his spy network could not find David. But the scripture says, so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. How is it possible that the king who could not find David, but his family found him? They found out he was in the cave of Adullam and they showed up and they're there. You wonder what is wrong with the King Saul's spy system. I tell you what was wrong with it. God, and God does this, he will blind the eyes of people to accomplish his will. He will take you to places that are impossible in order for you to discover that only God is your refuge. You can trust him. Now the serious part of this passage and everyone who was in distress, say that with me, distress, distress. And everyone who was in debt, say in debt, in debt. And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, say the word discontented, discontented. I want you to notice there's something really weird going on in this passage because you got, you got distressed people, you got debtors, 
and you got discontented people that are coming to visit David. Do you think David needs these people? With all the problems that David's got running away from King Saul, do you think he needs some more on his plate to give him a problem? Let's take a look at these. Distressed people are stressed out people, people who are in trouble. People, people who are in trouble usually produce trouble. And these are the people that are coming to David, distressed people, people in debt. They've got too many credit cards all maxed out, and these people who can't balance their checkbook are coming to visit David. What's David going to do who doesn't have two nickels to rub against each other? What's David going to do to the people who are in debt? And then you got this word discontented. This is a strong word. This word means not just what you think it means when you see discontented, somebody that's irritated or somebody that's aggravated, but say, oh no, this is a stronger word than that. This word means people who have now become bitter in life. Life hit them and hit them so many times that now they're bitter and they're resentful and they're liable to become hostile and they're very sensitive and ready to become defensive. You ever, you ever sit down with somebody who was angry and was so defensive that no matter what you said, they had something to say and they said it with an emotional intensity that made you want to get out of there? These are the people we're talking about. Now, the question is, I'm reading this passage. It's only two verses, but I'm reading this passage and I'm saying to myself, why... Does God want distressed people, indebted people, and discontented people to show up at David's cave? What good is anybody going to be served when you got a, a bunch of losers like this showing up in the cave? And I want you to look at this. I'm leaving it on the board on the screen for a reason. I want the, the distressed, the distressed, the, the people indebted, the discontented, they're categorized. And here's the reason why. Are you ready? Here's where the word of encouragement comes. First, sometimes the truth is, is um, disturbing. And sometimes truth comes to encourage us. I want you to see this. God knows exactly who's coming down to see David. He knows exactly what their problem is. He knows that these people are in distress. But these people are not distressed. They're in debt. And these people are dis contented. They're not necessarily in debt or distressed. They're beyond distress. They are totally bitter and resentful. He knows, he knows the category of person that's going down into the cave to meet David. He knows who they are and he knows what their problem is. Now let me fast forward it to this day. God knows who you are and he knows exactly what your problem is. He knows who the one is who's having a difficulty balancing the checkbook. He knows the one who's become bitter in life, who because life has sideswiped them so many times, they now become resentful. He knows the ones who are under stress and they are distressed. He knows exactly who you are and he knows why you're stressed out. Let me take it one step beyond that. God not only knows who and what they have, he intends... He intends to use these people in David's life. God, this is amazing. 
Because I want to tell you something. I'm reading this passage and I'm saying, why didn't God pick a couple of millionaires who are well-adjusted and who were balanced and who were optimistic? Those are the people that David needed in the cave. He needed somebody who was optimistic and somebody who had confidence and somebody who had the ability to, to make things happen, some loose change in his pocket to the tune of a couple of million. That's the people that David, but God sends him people who are broke, distressed, and bitter. How can God use people like this in David's army? David is looking to build his kingdom and these are the people that he's building his kingdom with. Right. God is also looking for an army. And the people that he's looking for, this is David. The son of David is looking for people to staff his kingdom and these are the people that God looks for he's looking for people who are stressed out who got trouble who are messed up who can't balance their checkbook he's looking for people who are discontented who have become bitter and resentful and they're troubled because of the fact they lost the job and they've been set back financially and because somebody said, he said, and she said. And God's looking for that kind of a person to build his... When God decided he was going to build a church, where do you think he went? He went right into a cemetery, and he found people who were dead in trespasses and sins. And those are the people he quickened to bring into his family so they could become a part of his kingdom. Those are the people God is looking for. He's looking for the likes of you, and he's looking for the likes of me. These are the people God builds with. That means we will never have an excuse when we stand before God and say some silly things like, well, Lord, I would have loved to have been used, but I was broke. And God said, I was looking for you. Lord, I, I, I wanted to be used, but I come from a dysfunctional family. And God said, I was looking for dysfunctional people like you. Lord, I would have loved to be involved in, in the program, but I was, I was so, I was so, Lord, I was so out of sorts. I was depressed. And I, how could you use a depressed person? And God said, I was looking for depressed people like you. You have no excuse. But Lord, I, I thought it disqualified me from the kingdom of God. And God says, it is what qualifies you for the kingdom of God. If you're waiting around to look like some kind of an angel with white wings on the behind you, and, and, and then God is going to use you, you're going to be waiting for a long time because God is not using angels. God is using people like us. These, we are the people that God uses for his kingdom. He uses people who are hurting. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound those things which are wise and the weak things of this world to confound those things which are strong and that which is not to confound that which is is. Is God's looking for, he's just looking for, he's just looking for people like us and we'll never, never be able to stand before God and say, well, Lord, I would have, but I, I Lord, I, I wanted to be, but, but I was slow. I was just, I didn't get things real fast. I mean, the preacher had to say it five times before I figured it out. And, and, and the boss seems to have to say it 12 times before I really know what I, and God, so I'm looking for slow people. You've been listening to Pastor Joe at Sunlight Christian Center.